welcome to series 10 episode 2 of York Hospital Ball. Our guest this week is goalkeeper Andy Leaning, whose path to professional football was somewhat unconventional, where he went from playing for local amateur football to keeping goal in front of the cop at Anfield in less than a year. Andy's career took him to Sheffield United, Bristol City, Lincoln City and Chesterfield before embarking on a second career in football as a successful goalkeeper coach. Here Andy discusses all of his remarkable career. This episode is proudly sponsored by Planning Prospects, a planning, development and regeneration consultancy company who specialise in securing planning permission for their clients across the country. If you have property and are looking to obtain planning permission, then they may be able to help. Get in touch with them via their website, www.planningprospects.co.uk. That's www.planningprospects.co.uk. This podcast is created on behalf of York Hospital Radio, a charity that relies on donations. If you enjoy these interviews, then please consider donating via justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. That's justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. All donations are gratefully received. Last episode, we heard about the era of Dennis Smith at Booth and Crescent, and now here is a chance to hear it from a player's perspective. So please enjoy Series 10, Episode 2 with Andy Leaning. So first of all, thanks Andy for, t- for taking the time to join us here at the, the studio here at York Hospital Radio. And thought we'd just sort of start by establishing how you ended up being a keeper in the first place. Because, you know, I remember being a young lad growing up, everyone wanted to play football mm. and, and young girls now as well in schools. But not many people wanted to go in goal. It was always the crazy people would go in goal. So how, how did you end up being in goal? Well, I used to live in Aikham and it was in the terraced houses, a place called Beaconsfield Street. And at the end of that road, there was a working men's club and uh, there was a big area where it was a bit of a floodlight and so you could always play a little bit of football a little bit later than the normal and actually the lad who the lad's dad who owned the club was like called Shane Winship who was secretary at York City for a spell so there'd be groups of little lads over here and the big lads over there and of course I was quite a tall lad for my age at that particular point and one day somebody said oh you come and play over here and uh, you got I got stuck in go with the big lads and that's really how it started and uh, it helped really because you were playing against you know a lot, lot, lot bigger kids than me and uh, I quite enjoyed it so that's how it really started and then started playing at school and stuff like that really and was there any sort of inspirations about them was it, you know match, watching match of a day was there any sort of keepers that you sort of model your oh, game on or anything like Gordon that Gordon Banks right. <laughs> without, a, without a shadow of a doubt my dad's friend had a, had a, a coloured television and we went. We used to go to watch the World Cup and Cup Finals in England because there wasn't as much exposure in those days mm. as, as there is today. It's wall to wall. It is today. And the first recollection is is that saved by Gordon Banks in the in the seventy World Cup. And I was out in the back lane after that, practicing it as often as I could. And the the other memory I have is the the seventy Cup Final when Leeds United played Chelsea, and a chap called Gary Sprake was in goal, and he dived over one and it went in the back of the net. So it's just how goalkeepers are. You either remember a great save or a mistake, but the bits in between, it's <laughs> the basics that you've got to do on a regular basis. And you mentioned. 
mentioned there that, that you lived in Aircom as, as yeah. a young young boy. Did you ever go watch York City then? In, oh young, yeah, young yeah. My dad was an ardent York City fan, and he taught me through the the fifty five cup runs and stuff like that. And my first recollection was a game in uh, I think the sixty nine seventy season was a cup tie against Cardiff City at uh, Bootham Crescent. Proper cup tie, cold day. I think we might have a bit of snow on the pitch, and uh, I was hooked. I remember walking up the back of the main stand, and we had some seats. My dad and his his mate and. Uh, we had some seats sort of near centre line, which was pretty good. But you always passed the window, the dressing room window. And I can still recall today that smell of that embrocation coming out <laughs> and uh, taking a flask of coffee. And of course, everybody smoked in them days. So all those little things, you went up the steps and then got sat in your seat. And they drew with Cardiff that day, if I remember rightly. And John Toshak played up front for them before his rise to playing for Liverpool. So I was hooked from that day onwards. And we, we had a season ticket for up until I was about, uh, well, before I started work because they didn't go to football straight away, really. Many York fans will remember that you signed as a professional in 1985, but you might have done that a lot sooner, hadn't you? I think you turned down an apprenticeship some years before <laughs> as you, your dad sort of favoured you getting a, getting a trade. Um, yeah. When I was a kid, I was at, uh, at Middlesbrough for, as a 14-year-old. I'd played for York boys up at the university pitches and had a particularly good game. And uh, another player who used to play for York City in many years ago, a fellow called Jack Pinder, quite a renowned footballer, and he was scouting. And he knew my dad from the same village of Aiken where we used to live. And uh, he said to me, Dad, now then, Frank, can we get him up to Middlesbrough and have a game? And I was there for two years and it didn't work out in the apprenticeship. And then I got a call from Barry Lyons, who was another Exeter favourite, saying, would you come and trial for us at York City? And all went well. And he said, yeah, we're happy. We'd like you to sign as an apprentice professional. And I was jumping through. So I thought, great, I couldn't wait. Until I got home and my dad said, uh, I've got your trade, son. Before you start thinking of football, you're going you're gonna to get an apprenticeship and that'll always be there, which I was gutted really but in hindsight that period between 16 and 22 i grew up in a man's world in, a, in, a, in an industrial working environment um, learned how to sort of you know un, you know work out how life was really but i played for the intermediates in that first season barry said well uh, if you you know you can still play for our intermediates and steve Seney was in that side um john byrne played a bit in that side gary ford a little bit um it's a pretty decent side already. Was, <laughs> yeah and did york city had just set up a youth system with barry Lyons in connection with a lot a, lot, a chap called roy elwood who was in local football and they were picking the best they could because most of the kids like myself or others were going to Leeds united hull city uh, middlesbrough they weren't coming to York City so it was good and we got to the cup final that year we had a really good season and I used to go in occasionally for training if I could get half a day off work or something like that and Barry used to say we could do with you more often and it was I was getting pushed and pushed and pushed he said look if you don't take this apprenticeship we're going to have to get somebody in so I understood that and my dad had, in them days the indentures and apprentice you were, you were tied till you I think it was five six year apprenticeship mm. so there was no way out for me and uh, the back end of that season Mick Asprey came and Barry said look He's here. We're gonna we're gonna take him on. You've done fantastically well for me, and and you know you Mick still got it all to do to prove. But he's gonna take the apprenticeship, and that finished it for me. And I went back into local football. And initially played for the York Rail Institute, but then bumped into a, a character that a lot of people in York will know, a chap called Jim Collis. They probably had his fish and chips from down the road, and he got me to play for Roundtrees, and that was the turning point. Playing for them again, and uh, quite by accident in the season that York beat Arsenal. I was working in Leeds with an, with an, an old boy. We used to travel every day. And, and uh, anyway, he wasn't there that particular day. So I'm sat in an office in Leeds. There's only us two people in the building. And this day, there's just me. And the phone rang. And I'm thinking, well, it can't be. I was just having a cup of tea at dinner time. It can't be for me. So I picked the phone up. Lo and behold, on the end of the phone was Viv Busby. And he said, is that Andy? I said, yep. He said, uh, 
I was quite surprised, obviously. He said, can you do us a favour and play in a game against Sunderland in in the reserves this evening? I said, yeah, I can. But I'm in Leeds at the moment. He said, well, just get it when you can. So I uh, shot back to York, grabbed my boots, shot to the ground, and everything went my way on that evening. And as it was getting changed, Dennis said, oh, just come and see me before before you before you go. Because you used to get a fiver if you played for reserves. You want a lot of money, but I think it was only about 25 quid a week myself, so it was all right. Back in, in what, 79, uh, sorry, 80, 84, 85. And Dennis just, he said, explain your story, which is the one I've just told you. And he said, well, if you want to play the last four games of the season in the reserves, he said, you're more than welcome after tonight. He said, just go and enjoy it, which is what I did. Are you thinking, well, that's 20 quid there? I'm thinking there's 20 quid there, yeah, yeah. I'm doubling my wages. I won't have to work Sunday. Uh, so it was just nice to be involved at the professional club again. And I was always wondering, was I good enough, you know, to still play at a certain level? And then we finished the season. And then after the game, I'm going in for my fiver again with Dennis. And uh, he sits me down. He said... Uh, Tony Cam had gone in just before me and I, we were stood in the corridor and I said to Tony, what, so are you just getting your money? He said, well, I'm, I might even be getting a contract, but I don't know, I don't 100% know. So Tony came out and he's fisting air and I thought, oh, he's got a contract here. And I'm still just expecting my expenses for, for playing in the in the Central League, I think it was. Then he sat me down and he said, uh, what is your work situation, Andy? And I said, well, I've, I've just finished my apprenticeship. And he just said, well, we'd like to offer you a contract. And I was, he could have knocked me down with a feather. And uh, I said, yeah. I'd love to do it. Love to do it, and that's that was my intro back into the game. So it was it was a, a full circle, if you like. Mm. But what a time to be involved at a football club, really. Because because before that point, then because you mentioned Mick Ashby there, who took yeah. the apprenticeship, and he ended up playing against Liverpool and Arsenal. Yeah. I imagine that at that point in your life, you, you would have been full of regret almost, or, 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 or maybe envy is probably the right right word. It's here. a mixture of all three. I was I was devastated really because I, I did think to myself. If I'd have taken that contract offer, would I have played against Arsenal? And would I have played against Liverpool? Because Mick was obviously playing, Roger Jones had been injured. So, yeah, it was regret, but it had spurred me on to sort of get really fit again. And then and this opportunity came up to play in the reserves. So it was nice when, it was, it was unbelievable really that one, getting a chance to be a professional footballer. And then Mick got injured at Bristol Rovers in the November and I made my debut at Newport on that evening. And never looked back. I mean, haven't you? Yeah. For the, the the rest of the season, didn't yeah. you? I think thirty consecutive league games. Mm-hmm. You mentioned there about fitness. I, I I read somewhere that that you struggled a bit with fitness initially, sort of building up to full time, absolutely, um, yeah. full time yeah. professional. And it was Viv Busby that sort of helped you with that. And I think he, you know, a lot of players I speak to that played around that era sort of really pick out Viv as a really key man in that, that sort of, that cog almost as a, about that side. Dennis and Viv were the perfect partnership, in my opinion. You know, we were, I won't say frightened to death of Dennis, but we knew he was manager. And Viv was the, the good cop, if you like. And I remember the first day of pre-season, turns up at uh, Boom Crescent, and then we went to York Rugby Club because they were doing those renovations at the back of the stands on the back of the cup runs, you know, those little boxes that you used to have. And then we all trooped off to York Knavesmeyer, which was 16 furlongs around the perimeter. That was that was pre-season for us. And uh, the, the transition from being a local amateur player to being a professional was, that is the difference. The fitness levels are off the scale really and initially I was struggling to put all this together in terms of physical fitness and goalkeeping 
te- you know, the techniques of goalkeeping. And I was struggling, if I was honest. Initially, I was struggling to, to, to adapt to this new new environment. And Viv pulled me one afternoon and he said, uh, in that nice manner and way of his, he said, what are you doing this afternoon? Anything on? I said, no, no, nothing. But he said, do you want to come back up to Clifton Hospital and uh, I'll fire a few balls at you? I said, yeah, love to. He said, I'm not a goalkeeper coach, but I know a few drills that he'd learnt from Roger Jones. And he said, we'll just do 20 minutes or so. But I think they must have got together and thought, right, he's struggling. We need to give him a bit of extra work. But those afternoons were fantastic. And the best thing in that first afternoon, Viv sat me down and he said, how are you finding it? I said, well, that's great, Viv, but I just finished one training session, go home, sleep on the sofa, come back. And I said, I'm absolutely knackered. And he said, well, no, no, you're doing okay. We think you're doing very well. And he said, you know, if, if you hadn't had, a, had an ankle injury in pre-season, he said, if you hadn't have had that ankle, you'd have been pushing for first team place along with me, which surprised me a little. But that was the turning point for me. I started to get to grips with the physical side of the training and playing in goal and the reserves went on a good run. And uh, that was all building up my confidence. And then Mick, unfortunately, got injured at at Bristol Rovers they went up on the Friday and played on the Saturday and I was at Round Trees with my dad and his brother listening to the little transistor radio listening to the scores coming in and uh, my dad's brother Les, Les said uh, he said hey kid he always used to call me kid he says your skull he's gone off been on the radio yeah so I thought right alarm bell is ringing here see how you know what it's Simon Mills I think actually went in goal and uh, I thought I'm a better keeper than him I thought well I must have a chance <laughs> if Simon's in but there was no goalkeepers on the bit I think it was only no, one yeah, sub yeah. if I'm yeah. honest and uh, I remember doing a we had a charity event on the Sunday and most of the lads were there and I bumped into Steve Cena and he said oh you better get ready you'll be playing on Tuesday on, I think it was Wednesday actually but Dennis still never said anything so we went Monday training Tuesday I think right well because we were travelling sort of you know to the game and uh, he just popped his head around the door and he said uh, you better have your picture taken for you, you playing on Wednesday night and don't say anything daft okay and that was it that's how I found out I was playing and we travelled mm. to Newport on that evening but but Viv and Dennis as a pair were pivotal in, in, in my career and we played small-sided games on a during the week after our training it was always finished with a small-sided game 9v9 and it was always old v young and the old always win because of the, that little bit of experience and I was fortunate enough to be slightly older than Mick so I would got the old gig, as they call it, Mick was with the young lads, and the gaffer played, Dennis, and he played probably like he played for Stoke City. He was going through tackles, it didn't matter if it was Friday morning, didn't matter if it was Tuesday, whatever it was, he was tackling and playing as though he was playing a first division game for Stoke. And he literally coached me on me feet, you know, that the where to be, positional sense, where to be when the ball's here, where there's button there. And so that was Dennis's side. And then Viv was doing this other bit in the afternoons with me to get me up to speed. So, you know, without those two people, I wouldn't have had a career. Simple as that. Oh, that's great. Great memories. And, and I love listening to that. What, what do you remember about your debut? Because some players sort of, it's quite a bit of a blur. Some people can remember it really vividly. What, what, what do you remember about Newport away? Well, it's... <laughs> It was all good. The bus used to, because living in Aikham, the bus used to travel Aikham, get on the A64 that way. So I got picked up and I had my kit and club track suit and what have you. And we stayed stayed over, over an overnight, I think, to play the next day. And uh, I just remember getting to the ground. As, when, as you're arriving at the ground, it's becoming real. What's coming next? And... Uh, I went out to look at the pitch and it was it was wet and it was windy and the pitch, the goal mounds were a little bit warm then. And I also remember when I'd left local football, there was like called Tommy Stanley he used to play with us at the punch ball and round trees. He'd been a, a junior at York City when I played for the intermediates. And he'd always said to me, just make sure when you go you know, get involved in professional football, go get your shoulders back, go in as though you mean it, because pros will smell blood and if, if they don't think you're up to it, they'll know straight away. When I'd come out of the goal mouth, I thought, right, back in the dressing room, get my kit on and, and away we go. And it was just nice to... I think it's like any performer stroke 
professional uh, athlete. The nerves are in the tunnel and the nerves are in the dressing room, but actually once you get on the pitch and once the whistle goes, at least you can affect what comes next. And I think that's when you start to relax a little bit. And uh, I made a couple of saves early on. Not, nothing major, but a couple of saves. And then my first goal I ever conceded in professional football, the wind is blowing right in my face at Summerton Park, Newport. Steve Senior gets a ball over his head. He should have kicked it out of play, really. And he just, and he. he he decided to play a back pass to me. It caught the wind and it went right in the top corner. So that was the first goal I ever conceded was through Stevie Senior. Of course, I'd known Steve from a kid. You know, we, we got over it and we got a draw on the night. And uh, Gordon Staniforth actually played for Newport, who's another ex-York City player. And right in the dying minutes of the game, I got to make a nice little parry to sort of pre- preserve the points. So that was the debut. As I say, an unusual way to concede your first goal in football. Uh, but nice to get a draw. And we probably should have won it, but it was just one of them nights where beating Bristol Rovers on the Saturday after losing a goalkeeper and a draw on the road at Newport. So it was a good start. And then we played the league leaders at Bootham Crescent on the Saturday. It was Reading. And I think we were up about fourth or fifth then. So it was a big, big day at mm. Bootham Crescent for a home debut. And there was the biggest crowd I've ever played in front of in my life. There was six and a half, seven thousand, I think, were crammed into Bootham Crescent. So, and that was the next thing. And uh, fortunately, I got a few things went my way in the early part of the game, a couple of saves and a cross. But we unfortunately lost one nil. We threw the kitchen sink at them second half, couldn't do it. So, you know, that was the first two games. Mm. But I'd sort of, it's always important, I think, to get a decent debut under your belt particularly at home because being a coach later in the game you're looking at the uh, at the player involved when he'd been out for a pair or a goalkeeper particularly a goalkeeper and you're thinking well can he handle it will he be you know particularly the weekend in a, in, a, in a big crowd and it was just carry on as normal so because it had been sort of had two decent games in my first two games were you more nervous for, for the Booth and Crescent one given that you'd been up in the main stand with your dad and, I think and so, stuff yeah. like that yeah. how was doubt. that it must have been quite surreal without sort a doubt of, um, yeah going to the, the ground that you'd always been to as a supporter and then all of a sudden yep. on the pitch it must have Absolutely. been, been really um, bizarre and I think being a local lad as well and playing in local football so you know it wasn't about me by any means that game but I just felt there was a bit of pressure on that position because of been a local kid and, and been promoted to play in the first team so but it was nice to get that under my belt in a decent game and uh, then we went on a cup run after that well that brings, brings me on to the next bit yeah, yeah no, I, I was just talking there about it being pretty surreal but I mean, I think you were about 21, 21 years old about this time and mm-hmm. recently playing on parks and, like you That's say, right. for round trees and, and, and sort of at that, that sort of amateur level. And then suddenly facing the prospect of playing Liverpool, who mm-hmm. obviously York City had lost 7 0 to. Yeah. Uh, the, the year before <laughs> how did you take that when the draws made you, are you sort of taking that in your stride or were you kind of bricking it the sort of magnitude of <laughs> well it a bit of everything I mean initially when the draw was made because we were playing in the first round of the cup we drew Morecambe so that was my next game we drew at York and it was a tough game against Morecambe we did well to sort of draw and the replay was played at Main Road, Manchester City. I, I know it's in Dave Batter's book, and I, I was going to ask yeah. you about what I, I didn't... But their I, ground was, was deemed unfit, right. so we played at Main Road, and we won, I think we won 2-1 or 2-0, maybe, or whatever it was. So that was my first win as a professional. So, that you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty... Exactly, pretty special to me. And, of course, we went all back to the ground, we were waiting for the, for the draw... And it was then Whitby Town, local derby. You know, another non-league side, but at home, which is, you know, you, you didn't really get any better than that. So mm. that was another tough game. And I think we went 1-0 up. And then they got a penalty. And uh, not as much footage in them days, particularly for a non-league side. I'm thinking, right, just stand up as long as you can. If I didn't know which way it was going, my better side was my left. So I've made to go to my left, and he smashed it straight down the middle. And I managed to stick my leg out. It's hit my leg and gone, rebounded out. So that kept us in the game. We won that one 3-1, but it flattered us. 
a little bit. So we're all back to Bootham Crescent after training for the for the next game, thinking third round of the FA Cup, it's going to be a biggie this, let's see what we can get. We drew Wickham Wanderers. Again, another non-league side at the time, and it was a bit lot more comfortable against them. We beat them 2-0. And this is Wickham of years ago, This is it? Wickham, this is, yeah. This Wickham Wanderers It's the like same now, one, but obviously they were, they, yeah. were, they were a non-league side. So we're all back to the ground. And uh, it was electric in those days because there was such a good atmosphere within the club and amongst the staff and the players, everything clicked. And we'd all go back and a big pot of tea had come out and a tin of biscuits and this old craggy radio had come on with, mm-hmm. I think it had a coat hanger hanging out with the top, you know, it was one of those. And then the draw was made again and York City were first out of the hat, so the excitement's building again. And you could complete silence. We'll play Altrincham, another non-league side, but it was at Bootham Crescent. And they'd beaten Birmingham City the previous round they were a, I think they didn't be in the first division club then we got through that one 2-0 so again the old routine training back to the ground tea biscuits socks sitting on the back of the head and then away we go this radio comes out again and we're out. thinking is it who's the non-league size left is, is, is there any left yeah is there <laughs> any left and then we came out the hat as well and then it was a de- deathly silence and then we'll play and it was Liverpool and I just couldn't believe my ears um, I really could not believe my ears you know because it caused me personally so much pain a year previous I was delighted for Mick don't get me wrong absolutely delighted for Mick and all the lads Stevie Senior and people like that I knew but I was gutted for myself obviously because I'd missed out Mm. so a year to the day I'm now going to be playing at Bootham Crescent against Liverpool which was uh, it was it was was surreal was that the team that you wanted to come out of the house was that at that that time Liverpool (laughs) were almost like the best in Europe weren't they well the way the draw had been going we thought we're going to get one of these clubs that whatever but obviously Manchester City Liverpool Arsenal they're all in there Everton were playing were Man the league champions Man United so I suppose in the end yeah it was nice to lay a bit of a ghost for myself personally that the fact that we were going to play them at um Boothan Crescent the, the perfect draw and, and that game at Boothan Crescent I mean I was, I was too young for that game but watching it back I mean the, the pitch which Kenny Dalglish described as diabolical and dangerous I mean what was that like for you as a keeper who had to sort of dive around on it and I know obviously people say the pitch is yeah. a leveller but for you as a goalkeeper you obviously well I was I had black bottoms on I had pimples you know there used to be a puma with a pimple and I was wearing those it was difficult to set goal kits because it was it literally it was rock hard and rutted and I had a shirt with a bit of padding on the elbows but it was rock hard it was it was absolutely rock hard it wouldn't have been played today in a million years but we'd been playing on those pitches for it been a, not the been the best of winters and it, we'd been used to those pitches for a few weeks whereas Liverpool had been used to their undersoil heat in Anfield and it was a culture shock for them but to be fair to the club they ever, I think every one of the big hitters played in that game it was in the days when the, the FA Cup was, was the FA Cup and they put their full strength squad out and Kenny Dalglish played himself he could have had a bit of a rest himself I think if he'd have wanted but he was out there playing so <laughs> we were training on the pitch the sheets on the pitch I think the year previous there'd been straw on it and I think with the cup run money they'd been able to buy these plastic sheets but it was absolutely concrete bone hard to play in and Brian Foster who was a great character who I'm, you know, probably everybody who's been on this podcast will have, will have mentioned Brian had uh, had moved the snow to the side of the pitch and there, must, there was literally about a foot either side of the pitch you could just about take a throw in but anyway we, we cracked on and going with the game it was uh, you know the excitement leading up to that was was unbelievable and, and the other thing we, we were struggling with places to find to train on because it was rock hard everywhere mm. and I think we trained if I'm right we played. We did some round robin five aside at Manor School on, on you know them old parquet floors. I think we were doing that up till uh, till Thursday, and then I think we did a bit on the pitch just to to get us right. So. Well, the preparation worked. I mean, it, it, was, it was a great it performance, wasn't it? And yeah. I mean, Liverpool felt they should have had a penalty when yourself and Ian Rush went for the yeah. for the ball. I must so, admit, was I was. It was a dive, and I'd 
I'm bound to say that, but we'd gone uh, we'd gone one nil up, bodies gone, and Dale Dale Bant had a great chance early in the game, and uh, we were it was nip and tuck, it was on a on a difficult serve, it was nip and tuck, and then the ball came over the top, and I'm thinking, you know, do I come, do I stay? It's that split second decision, and he just over hit it, if I, if I remember rightly, and I thought, right, I've got to go, and I slid. I remember hitting the ground with such a thud on this rock hard surface, I think that hurt, and he he was cute enough to come and dive, but the referee, to be fair to him, in this instance, I'm sure we're going to come. On to the next bit stayed strong and he never gave it but their second their goal sorry their equalising goal probably was on the back of something like that because all the Liverpool fans were down at the uh, Grosvenor Road end yeah I mean I've watched that several times and you'll have seen it obviously at very close Mm. range I mean I can't really see what the penalty was was given for other than that they were Liverpool and uh, New York City Liverpool we all know that big sides get the big decisions when it when it comes when it comes down to it and Steve not Senny as we used to call him I remember him going up and if I remember rightly whoever was the striker whoever was up with him sort of pulled him back and his arm came up and it was ball to hand more than the other way but with a big shout from behind the goal he he gave it. Jan Bulby, he just trickled it into the bottom corner, which, um, you know, that, that kept it level. But that, I think that was when the nerves kicked in the most because you're thinking, just make sure at least we're going to get a replay. You know, whether you're going to win it at home. Because, as I say, it had been nip and tuck most of the game. But anyway, I was relieved to hear the final whistle go. And, and of course, a replay, it, it's almost sort of better, isn't it, with the fact that you as players get a chance to play it somewhere like iconic like Anfield. And, Absolutely. You know, 30,000 people there, obviously, for, for sign mm. as well when you come mm. out of a tunnel. Mm. And Tony Callum said when I went in the meeting, he said that <laughs> you were both defending a corner and, and he turned around to you and said, oh, it's a little <laughs> bit did. different to uh, Harrogate Railway. And, and gets round trees. Yeah, he gets round trees. And, and yeah. I don't wonder whether you remembered him saying I that. I do, yeah. Now you recall it, I do remember him saying But, you know, going back to the first game, I remember coming off the pitch and we were all in the dressing room and every Everybody's buzzing, you know, it's been a great performance. The beers, we usually had a cup of tea and stuff like that, but all these beers came in. We were sponsored by Hansa Lager, Cameron's Brewery. And my old mate, who used to play at Round Trees, Henry Britton, was, um, he used to work for them, so he came in. It was nice to share a little bit with him. And we just couldn't wait to get to on Lanfield on the Tuesday night. And, but I do remember Tony saying that, yeah? Now you come to recall it, yeah? yeah. In the heat, it's funny how what happened in the heat of the battle sometimes, those things get And you just remember, you know, we stood in front of this full cop and he's on the front post and I'm, I'm waiting to take this corner. So. And what, what was it like playing in front of a cop? I mean, as, as a goalkeeper as well, yeah. like, I think people shouting stuff at you. Or what, what's, do you know what? To be, to be fair to Liverpool in those days, and I don't know what it's like today, but they were always appreciative of goalkeepers or you know it was one of them places where you know when you're running towards it you did acknowledge and you know the way things had gone we'd, we'd conceded early and then TC popped one in just on half time to get his level but actually running to the cop for the second half it's it's daunting it's proper daunting to, to think you know I was, I'd, I'd just been playing local football a year ago um, but I think it was fight or flight and I remember before we went out for the game, I think standing in the tunnel, I think it really hit home to me what was coming because you saw that striking red kit and you're playing at Anfield, you can hear the noise from the tunnel and you look out and see these iconic players. And that was the time it was it really hit home what was coming next. And I think it, I think that's when the nerves kick in and it is a bit of fight or flight and, you, you know, it's going to be one way or the other. And of course, a lot of those players that you were playing alongside for York City had played in the... The year before, yeah. hadn't they, when in the 7-0 game? And yeah. How were they feeling? Were they nervous well, to not we, kind of experience the same thing again? Or We had some fantastic experienced players. In fact, that the side that Dennis had put together over that period of time, up to that period of, of, of certainly going to Anfield, is probably as good a 4-4-2 formation as it was in those days that you could probably have at our level and mm. probably a little bit higher and even going to have a game against them. Stevie Cini was a tough tackling uh, right back. John McPhail was the colossus in the middle of the park, you know, centre-half, probably the best defender I ever played with. 
apart from Paul Stancliffe when I went to uh, Sheffield United. You got Ricky Sprazier alongside him, oh, and then Ricky got injured. Dave, Dave McCautry came in. They were a good partnership between them. You got Derry Cud on the left, or Alan Hay, and in front of them, in front of Senny, you had Gary Ford, and they worked as a pair because Steve could get forward. And on the other side, you've got Alan and, or Derry Cud, and they could support Tony. And then in the middle of the park was Sean Hazelgrave, which was the the bite in the middle of midfield, mm. and the silky skills of Simon Mills in the middle. And then you got Big Keith up front alongside Dale or Keith Uchin. And Marco was just coming sort of into... I don't think he was on the bench that day, but he was just coming into the fort from the youth team. So in terms of personnel, there was some, there was, that was a proper... You know, you'd back yourselves anyway, coupled with what Dennis and Viv were doing. So we were... You're confident going into the game. You have to be confident, but we did concede early. And I must admit, from that point, you're thinking, right, could the floodgates open here? But it didn't. Mm. And we competed very well, and particularly into the second half. And there was nothing in the game. There was absolutely nothing in the game until the, the big incident, really. I mean, many people describe that as your best game for York City. Would you sort of concur with that opinion? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there was a couple of games I do recall particularly which was one was I think the Liverpool games and then we played Chelsea the following season yeah, and we also had a game against Middlesbrough on New Year's Day here on a on a glue glue pot of a pitch so they would be the three that would stand out in my mind really yeah were you nervous then um because it is my thinking that you, you are there in, in the tunnel at Anfield when literally <laughs> yeah. a year or two before mm. like you thought your chance had gone and mm. playing local mm. football it, you know were, were you nervous did you ever if I'm honest up? I can hardly remember a thing about right. the 90 minutes I think probably nerves the whole situation that went with it I can hardly I can only remember making a save landing on the turf a bit of a roar and that's all I can basically remember until the, the final whistle went in uh, in normal time and right at the death a shot came through a load of bodies and I managed to get a block on it and I remember Monty John McPhail come up he said well done big man and with that the whistle went but just prior to that we'd had a goal kick and uh, the local reporter from the evening press with a chap called Gary Atkinson lovely bloke Gary of course he was behind my goals most of the time in, in, in games away from home I think he did more of the away games you know I remember saying to Gary how long how long Gary how long? He's good. it's over it's over so uh, I still see Gary so it's, we sometimes we still reminisce about that really <laughs> I mean, I guess it's sort of an opportunity playing at someone like Liverpool, a chance to sort of put yourself in the shop window or, or kind of, you, you know, you're probably going to be more busy than you are in, in potentially yeah. a league game at that time when, yeah. when York were doing so well. So it's a chance for you to kind of, as a goalkeeper, to shine, isn't it, really? <laughs> I just remember somebody, as we went into the ground, bearing in mind I'd been a joiner since I was 16 till I decided to play for York City. And somebody said, you better bring some plywood with you tonight, son, and some hammer and nails. And I, you know, you never forget those daft comments, do you? And you think, well, yeah, you're probably right. You know, mm. there's going to be a bit to do today. But no, we competed well on the night. Yeah, yeah, mm. superb. And, and just like the first game, York were on the wrong end of a dubious mm. decision. I mean, I know you're at the other end of the pitch, but... Keith's disallowed goal. I mean, are you as incensed can, as everyone else I've spoke to? Yeah, I can see it now. I can see the ball going over the top. And Keith, was a, he was the strongest player I think I've ever played with. He was proper physical, but he could finish and he had a bit of pace about him. And I just remember everything happened. I remember Bruce Grobelard coming on because he played in a white shirt that night for some reason. I don't know why, but, but you could see him. Hansen came across, Lawrenson came across, a lad called Gillespie came in. And they all hit, and Keith just ran through him like a brick wall. But I can just see Keith's toe poking like he would do and it just trickled into the bottom corner and I remember standing at the cop and I think we're, we're, we're winning we're winning here we're, we're not long to go and whatever happened next happened next there was some infringement he saw and I think even uh, Mark Lawrenson said in a, in a podcast not so long back that there was nothing wrong with the goal I'm not saying we'd have won there was 20 minutes to go they could have gone up several gears but it would have been nice to defend a lead 
and see what would have happened next, really. And, and I believe Kenny Dalglish sort of shook your hand at full time and commented on your performance. That, that must yeah, be he said, well a done, treasure yeah, memory forget for that. you. Never forget that. He, you know, he was big enough to come and say, well done, son. And In fact, they all were. All the Liverpool lads were. And because I think they knew they'd been in the game, number one, and they'd got through it. And I think they went to win the cup that year. I remember going, yeah, I was went with my cousin, went to Wembley, Liverpool Evan. And uh, I'm not saying we'd have been in the final, but you never know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you never know. Look at Looking on the pitch thinking that should mm. be me. I mean, York, York came seventh that season, the old Division three. I mean, it's a great season, isn't it? Especially when mm. you consider, you know, the extra games that they played in the cup, mm. and it must have been a great time to sort of be a, be around the club. Absolutely, era. as I say, the the whole makeup, the way it came down from with the way Dennis and Viv ran it to the senior pros that were there. You know, your Ricky Sprazers, your John McPhails, and Malcolm Crosby had just finished. He was a youth coach, and it was just a good play. Brian Foster, you, you all, and the backroom staff. It was a place when all the club were were pulling together, and it was it was a it was the old chocolate box. We kept pulling out the good ones on on a regular basis. It was just a great place to be. And we we I remember going to uh, at the end of the season because we've all got a trip towards. Uh, to, to Spain on the back of it and Viv used to come in on the, on a Friday and say this big pot of tea and biscuits used to come in and then he'd, he'd jump up in the corner and uh, he'd had this little book and if you wanted to put a tenner or a fiver in you, you put your tenner in and you put it in the safe so by the time the summer came you had a bit of money to spend on the trip to Yorkers I just remember that as well it was just, it was just part of it yeah well the camaraderie sounds like it was really important I, I think mm. um, Dennis Smith says in his book that they, the lads used to ask if they could go out for Sean Hazelgrave's birthday and then he realised <laughs> that he was having four or five birthdays a year that, well, that she, kind of turned a blind eye because he knew that that was important that, that you guys yeah. as a group needed to, well, to socialise together yeah Sean was was the eyes and the ears not the eyes and the ears I don't mean that necessarily Sean was he took he was the captain that took out the orders from the pitch but Sean lived in Preston so he used to stay up a couple of times a, a week if there was a game and of course he, he wanted something to do so he did, like you say he did create this situation where it was a birthday or whatever, whatever it was and, but that would get all the lads, lads together in midweek and another little story back to the Magaluf thing I remember at the end of the season we went to uh, Everton had won the championship and we were there in fact every football club that was anybody was in Magaluf at that time having a few beers and, and grinding down and Sean said to me one day we used to call him Bubble he's like his champagne I think if I but anyway he said come on big man we're off for a walk me and you so of course I'm just a naive kid I've just got into the game and don't know anything about it really and he walks down the front and Everton are in this bar and the manager's Howard Kendall who we'd played with at Stoke City along with Dennis and Viv and so he knew him you know so we, he, he shakes hands and uh, Sean says this is Andy and, he, and Howard Kendall said, what now then son he said get yourself a drink he said um, he said can you go to the bar for these lads here, you know, our staff, and get what you'd like and come back? So I got this tray of drinks. And I remember sitting down and Sean, and I didn't know him at all, Howard Kendall, but on the staff, but the stories that came out within that next hour, I just sat there and then there was a nod and I went back to the bar and carried these drinks out, <laughs> sat down and I, I was in awe of where I was. And Sean said, that, right, that's enough, we better go back and join the lads. And uh, we did do, but it was... Uh, yeah, Sean was yeah pivotal in that as a captain, and he he took Dennis's orders out onto the pitch and Viv as well. And what was training like? I'm thinking like you mentioned Keith Warwin there. Were you just kind of hoping he was on your team in these small-sided games when you were training? <laughs> yeah, well, Ovi Young, so that was a good thing. He, he went up against me, he was up at mix end. Right, OK. You know, you didn't want... I mean, if you imagine, the old side was me, John McPhail, Ricky Sprazier, Keith up front. We were never going to get beat in these games, although they were competitive. So, yeah, they were... They were uh, I mean, he was a colossus, Keith. Yeah, and, and sadly, you know, died way too young, mm -hmm. didn't he? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, another game that people uh, mention your heroics in is, is the following season when York beat Chelsea. I mm -hmm. think both in the, in the first leg, beating them one 
nil. But I, I managed to watch the second leg uh, on YouTube this week, and yeah. he pulled off some fantastic saves in that as well. Yeah. Particularly when it was nil nil, one yeah. that you sort of tipped over the bar. That again must be a, a, a good moment for you to look back on. I mean, at Stamford Bridge and Absolutely. playing at grounds yeah. like that. Well, we played the first, it was two legs in those days. We'd beaten Sunderland in the uh, League Cup, which was always the second game of the season in those days, and beaten quite convincingly. Although we got we were lost at Bootham Crescent, but over the two legs two we, legs, we yeah. won the game. Cost, and then cost the Chelsea game came up, and we beat them one 0 at home. And if I remember rightly, Tony scored. Tony Cannon yeah, scored yeah, in that. Did he right. get the goal in that? Yeah. Tony to win one 0 That's all I really remember about that. I think there's the odd save to make, but obviously then we went down to London to play the second leg. And yeah, you know, we after what we'd done at Liverpool the year before, we were pretty confident. Mm. You know, not I'm not saying we're going to win the game, but we were going to compete. We, we had enough about us to think we could. And they compete. were under a bit of pressure, I think Chelsea at the time. Word, I think. I think. Yeah. From what I could gather, I think it was Martin Tyler doing the commentary as well. Like right, he's yeah. been going for about hundred years, I think. But yeah. he, he was. I think they dropped a few players and yeah. a bit of unrest there, so it's probably on paper a good time to sort of have a crack yeah at well Martin Tyler was in his younger days was his I think he was the Yorkshire sort of correspondent where he learned his trade really so it was quite quite funny in years in the later in the, the following years when sometimes I did bump into when I was coaching or playing at other clubs and he always used to say remember that game at Chelsea and and, and you know the, the York games here so that's nice for him to recall that but yeah Chelsea were in a bit of a transitional period we were in the game a couple of saves early on and then I think they scored and I think it did it run out 3-0 yeah, it did. I, th- I think I think it was known. I think Ricky Sprager. It was that was right. Header, yeah. One. But I mean, it was a good header to be fair. It was. It was a great finish. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. I'll tell you. But uh, the best save I really ever made in football would be the one that night at Chelsea in the second half, and the uh, ball went out wide and it came to the six-yard box. I remember thinking to myself, oh, should, should I come for this? And I went back onto my line and carried it to Ned, so I headed it into the floor, I think. And I managed to get a tip on it. And uh, best save I ever made. And I didn't know a lot about it. It was a reaction save, the, the ones that you make when you do. You know, it's a reaction save. And uh, But it was shown on the midweek spots for a few weeks after that. It was on the on the, on the the strap line, you know. But yeah, that was a great, great thing. They, they ran out comfortable winners in the end. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but you, you had a good good night. I, I, I seem to remember you saying saying on, on message the other day, after, after good night out in London. I just recalled it, it to, yeah, the to, other uh, day. And drown say, your sorrows. It's amazing what you do do remember. And we stayed over and we went out to Stringfellows nightclub. All of us, you know, Daff, Dennis and uh, and then Viv and all that. And uh, there was a, a band at the time called Kajagoogo, which this will test a few people who listen to this. It was And they were number one with Too Shy, maybe a couple of years previous. And they played live in this club. And we were having a few drinks and everything. And anyway, I went back to the hotel eventually and shot back to York the next, uh, the next morning around dinner time. And uh, we had a game at the weekend. And did you go out to Stringfellas because it was Sean Isle Grove's birthday? Or it, it must have been, yeah. yeah there had been <laughs> something to do with Sean, yeah. But somebody knew somebody and, and, and we went in. And to be fair, the, is it Peter Stringfell? He's yeah. a Sheffield lad. And right. uh, of course, you know, he's, he's a northern lad and he came over and spoke to lads and everything. It was a good night. <laughs> but that's how it was in those days. It, yeah. it was a tight-knit group that, that played and socialised together. So it was a nice nice fitting end, even though it was a defeat. Your last game for York City was at Ayrson Park in April 1987 against Middlesbrough. Mm. Were you kind of aware of the sort of interest in your services? I know Dennis um, Smith ultimately left because the board wanted to sell you. 
How did you feel? You must have been sort of almost like the sort of pawn in the middle, really, through all of this. Yeah, it was a shock. It, it was a shock because up until that, you know, the, the first good season and the second good season, up until Christmas, there was another game, I think I mentioned, against Middlesbrough we, we beat here. So going into sort of January, February was... We were still doing okay, but that season we'd lost John McPhail, and I would pinpoint the demise really of that side to the to, to losing John, and and that's no disrespect to any of the players that came in, but John was that good a player, and I don't think he wanted to leave, and uh, he ended up going to Bristol City. It was just a time when the defence wasn't as solid as it used to be. We weren't as good a team as we used to be. And to be fair, I had probably my first sticky patch around. Not not it wasn't for weeks and weeks, but goals were going in. And it, we we got beat maybe three one at Essen Park, and and Dennis just said, look, I just think you need a rest. So I took it on the chin, and that was it. Uh, my contract was up in the summer, and I remember going in at the end of the season, and, and Dennis basically said, he said, I can't believe what I'm going to tell you. He said they're not, um, I'm going to offer you a new contract. And I said, well, he said, but don't worry. He said, there's a lot of interest. He said it'd be more fool them. And he said, I've got your trial on uh, next next week at Everton. So I, I actually went from being released at York City to playing at Everton. In a testimonial game at Blackpool, did all right. And, uh, was and Howard then, Kendall manager? He was. And the, <laughs> did he remember you were going to the back? The funny thing was, yeah, I wasn't in the best of form. I was going for a trial at a big club. I mean, let's let's put it in perspective. This is like today coming from a League Two club and going to play at Manchester City, who were league champions. Or Liverpool, who were league, because Everton were league champions. So I got to, uh, I remember going out to Liverpool the day before and they put me up in a hotel. Coach picked us up, we went to Blackpool and... Uh, I remember getting there, a bit nervous, didn't really know any of the lads. Bobby Mims, who was a York lad, Kemp Sports, he was the goalkeeper was there. Mm. He played the first half, I played the second. But when we got to the game, Mr. Kendall, Howard Kendall, um, he came up and said, he said, now then, son, how are you doing? All right. He said, drinks carrier. I went, that's it. And he said, listen, just relax. Just just go and enjoy it, see what you can do and uh, play tomorrow. And I'll speak to you after that. And that's, that's, that's how it went. In that two days, I was still living at home. My dad had retired, even, you know. We just had a phone put in that, that date. So, you know, it was back to the days when we, a telephone had just been put in the house. And I remember ringing back after the game at Blackpool and he said, I said, oh, it went all right, Daddy went, I don't care how it went. He says, I've got Motherwell, Aberdeen, Sheffield United, Uddersfield, Tat. And he was really, his clubs off, all wanting to know what my situation was and whether I would be signing for, for Everton. And it, it didn't it didn't work out, although I played played well over the two days. He, we were waiting for a phone call on the on the Wednesday, mid-afternoon, and he, I got the call and he said, look, you've done really well. He said, the best I could probably offer you would be third choice behind Neville Southall and, and Bobby Mims. He said, to be fair to you, if there is interest from other clubs, and he said there's bound to be after you know, trialling for us and the way you've played. He said, my advice is if you can get a good club, go and do it, um, which is fair enough. He said, we'll keep an eye on you and if things go well, we could always, you know, in the future. And it was then I went to Sheffield United and uh, signed for the ex-Yorkshire manager, M. Billy McKeown. Yeah, and a, a, a massive club out of Sheffield United. And, mm. and I noticed that, I think John Burridge was there, wasn't he? When Budgie, when, yeah. when you were there, <laughs> one of football's sort of great characters. And Absolutely. Also a bit of a trailblazer, I think, in terms of sort of goalkeeping and coaching methods, I think. Well, there was. I mean, you know, Viv, bless him. He, put, he, he got me up to speed with shots and stuff like that. But actually going there was the first time I'd encountered any form of technical drills and goalkeeping drills, which John had forged. I mean, he was a fitness fanatic. Uh, John and he, I remember the first day I arrived at, 
at Bramall Lane first day of pre-season. He comes in and he was wearing like a dressing gown. He looked like a boxer going into the ring and he had this bag of chest expanders in a few ways. He got me an headlock, ruffled me and he said, Darling, big man, he says, he says, I've got a couple of weeks to get you up to speed and then I'm off to leave you and go back to the top flight where I belong. All tongue-in-cheek, if you understand. And uh, we worked with John and he did all sorts of things. He had an old army jacket and he filled it with sand in the pockets for a bit of weight and we used to do top corner work and then take it off and, you know, for a bit more spring. And he had a bar table and he used to take this up and he used to fire a goal he used to turn off the post and somebody would fire the ball onto the table and just move it on the angle and it'd be a low save so it was all these daft things we used to do mm. but it was great to work with him and then he left and he went to uh, he went to Southampton we were in the first division then did, did you know that he was going to be moving on and that you were going to be first choice was that, was that <laughs> well you signing for them when I'd spoken to Billy he said both my both my keepers are out of contract, like Paul Tomlinson, who eventually went to Bradford. He said so. He said one of them or both of them will be leaving, and depending which one goes, you'll be either level as a two-stroke one, or you'll be straight in. Which you know, after playing first-team football, that's the first thing. That's what you want to do. So I went up to uh, to Bramall Lane and met. Simon Mills's dad, who was a Sheffield lad, he had a sports shop in Sheffield in Darnell, a place called Darnell. And Lol picked me up from the station and uh, and took me to the ground and you know, come on, son, you can do this, get yourself a decent contract and everything. So then he picked me up later on. We went back to his sports shop with uh, his wife Brenda, lovely, lovely couple, and uh, <laughs> got the contract and washed it down with fish and chips and a cup of tea up in the in the in the in the stock room upstairs. We were surrounded by football boots and t-shirts and everything, but it was it was fantastic, really. It was great, and I was pleased to join a club of that stature, if I'm honest. What was Billy McEwen like? Because when he was at York, he, he was quite a... How do you put it? Brace Yeah, brace <laughs> I think I think some fans loved that, loved that passion, mm. and some fans, mm. you know, were a bit sensitive to it. What, what was he like in, in the late 80s? <laughs> exactly the same. Yeah. I don't think he changed much. I mean, I owe a lot to Billy because he took a, he took a chance on me and he offered me a, a, a contract. I was looking for... I mean, I was still living at home, and um, you know there was no prospect of me buying a property anytime soon, and uh, going to Sheffield opened those doors up for me where I could you know get on the ladder a bit. So I owe a lot to Billy, um, but he he was abrasive. He was there was uh, there was Billy's way or the highway, and the idea really was for me to if if I'm honest, I think I was there to probably back up John get integrated into a higher level of football and and when the time came or if an opportunity came then you'd get your opportunity but but John left pretty soon after that and I was sort of well not thrown into the deep end but it was a big jump to go as first choice there and uh, I got in the first team from the first game of the season it was you know it was a, we played Bournemouth and uh, after 20 minutes they got a penalty and fortunately dived to me favoured I think it was left hand side and, and then we got a block on it so it was nice to get that you know, we talked earlier on about getting a decent debut under your belt, and and, and you had a you know a pretty decent run in the side, didn't you? I and mean, I think you got injured and ended up moving <laughs> to Bristol City in, in 1988. One promotion in 1990 mm. from the third division. Which again, when I was doing my research, I thought, oh, what what fantastic moments! Are sort of mm. fans are all, always remember promotion winning sides, but you were pipped to the title by Bristol Rovers. Absolutely. So it, it must have been um, a little bit bittersweet having having that kind of. If it had been the other way around, it would have probably been talked about for yeah. years, wouldn't it, by, uh, by well, Bristol Well, just City to fans. finish a story, I, I say I was playing the first team at Sheffield and we played at Leeds, Leeds United, a big derby. I remember coming out for the second half, 
it, it was a little slope on the tunnel and there was, wasn't these rubber mats down like there is these days and I had the metal studs on and I, I pushed off with my left foot to run out and landed smack on my kneecap on the on the right right smack on the front mm. no goalkeepers on the bench and I just I remember running to the, the, the girl then that lead the cop end I'm thinking I'm in a bit of trouble here we finished the game and well, it just swelled up like a balloon it, I'd done I'd nicked part of me a medial ligament or anterior cruciate something like that it put me out for a bit of a, a spell so and in the meantime Billy had got the sack and I'd gone to uh, and Dave Bassett would come in as manager and I'd played a few games for him and then this was the Leeds game where I got injured and they had to get somebody else in and, and that was it for me then and I went along to Bristol City just just said and signed for another iconic manager which is Joe Jordan fantastic yeah. um, I was in awe of the man really you know I mean I wasn't a Leeds fan personally but I was aware of all the Leeds situation been growing up in York in the, you know, in the 70s and Leeds were a massive team and Joe was just another iconic figure he'd just come back from uh, AC Milan he was he was still caught he was still you know he was 38 years of age but he still played mm. and uh, I went down on loan I got a call to play to go and play on loan in the League Cup at Oxford and uh, I remember jumping on the train and going down to Bristol and uh, getting picked up and to play this game on the on the Tuesday night and uh, <laughs> We won. I had a good game. I was. I actually was sort of man in the match there. We, 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 but we conceded early, early doors. And you know the one I've talked about with Steve Senior. The first goal I conceded for Bristol City. I remember Dean Saunders used to play. He was before he went to Liverpool. He was playing. He hit this one and he hit the bar. Hit me on the back of the head and went in the back of the goal. That was my first goal for them. So it was nice to get that penalty save for uh, Sheffield United out of the way without conceding a daft goal. But. And that's how it went. So I went and played in that and uh, eventually signed. And I'd say Joe was still playing and he used to say goal kicks. He said, just just knock that ball up between the the, the centre circle and, and the touchline right in the middle. He said, I'll come off the touchline. And he did. And he used mm. to come elbow, everything and all. And the amount of centre-halves he flattened was unbelievable. Well, he nearly flattened Gattuso, didn't he? If you <laughs> oh, yes, guys. on the touchline. On the touchline when fearsome. he was in his sort of 60s. <laughs> Absolutely fearsome as a player. Yeah, and Gattuso wasn't, yeah. uh, you know, people yeah. didn't know me mess with him and yeah. so Joe Jordan. Well, he used to, we used to go in a place called Fairland in Bristol where the training ground is. And lads are driving cars up there and all get ready to play. And uh, Joe would come out of his car, immaculate, take his tracksuit bottoms off, take those four front teeth out, put them in his pocket, lay them at the side of the goal. And uh, that was it. Off we go. We used to go on this figure of eight run. Well, he could just about outrun everybody as well so it was a hard job to keep up with him but uh, I enjoyed my time there and it was in a chap called Jimmy Lumsden who was his assistant were, were another good pairing really as a bad cop if you like so, yeah um, Bob Taylor got a lot of goals well yeah, for Bob. Bristol City he was a really good striker yeah. I sort of remember him early 90s yeah. getting a lot for, I think he played for Boland didn't he yeah Bob Taylor came from Leeds uh, we had a chief scout who in fact he was the he was the chief scout at Huddersfield Town um, Tony Fourthrop, I think they call him he was the one that was trying to get hold of me when when I was signed for Sheffield United so actually when I went to Bristol City I think he'd started working for them and I think that was the connection there um, but yeah that was that was how it went like you, had, you had spells with Chesterfield and, and Lincoln City as well before becoming a goalkeeping coach and I think one of the influences on your career path as a coach was I believe was down to Ricky Sprazier yeah Ricky yeah well yeah I, I remember finishing the game I was at Lincoln and I was I wasn't in the first team second year and I'd started doing a bit of coaching with the kids and I didn't get a contract that uh, that summer at Lincoln and I thought yeah I'll become a goalkeeper coach now and I, and I rang so Ricky was at Sunderland and I, I rang him up and uh, you know wondered if there was anything going really a bit na very naive if I'm honest mm. you know and Ricky said well I'll, I'll say to you what somebody said to me I said go on then he said well 
are you a player that's just finished and don't know what to do with yourself? Or have you got all your coaching badges and everything goes with it? And I said, I'm probably the first one. <laughs> I haven't got all my coaching badges. So, well, right, do yourself a favour. Go and try and get them. And then you can put your experience to your coaching badges and you look in the full package as though that's what your career path's looking to be. And he said, that's some, that's what's exactly what somebody said to me. So it was good advice. And I started to do them as well. Really. Did you, you were one of the first sort of goalkeeping coaches. You had like the UEFA licences, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> That was another story because you had to do in those days, and I think it's still the same. To be to go on a goalkeeping course, the the C, B, and A course, you also had to do the same with the C, B, and A as an outfield coach. So yeah, I had to get the A license outfield before I could do the A license goalkeeping. So it was a long way around. I mean, that was a tough old. I mean, the outfield was a fortnight in uh, Lillishaw uh, for two consecutive summers, and one summer you did attacking, and the second year you did defending. And then you get your topic, and then you go and pass it. So that was two years. See, two, I think it took five years in all to get everything. It's, you know, it's equivalent- more than your network rail. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty sure. well. It was. I mean, it's equivalent to the degree they say, but it was worth doing. There's a group of us that did it. And particularly goalkeepers, they were they were the good ones. And you know, there was another iconic man in charge of the. Um, he was the head of the goalkeeper, which was Ray Clements, and he was a, a superb fella. You know, bear in mind what he'd done in the game. He was so you know giving in his knowledge and helping you through these badges. A chap called Eric Steele and Martin Thomas was was helping as well. So it was it was great to go there and uh, and uh, and do it. But that yeah, that's what I did, and uh, and that's how I, I eventually well I got into coaching under those circumstances and, and how did coaching compare to playing I mean you've worked at some top club I mean you're going back to Sheffield United but and, and Leeds United they were operating at a real a lot higher level mm-hmm. than, than you were kind of in your playing days how, mm-hmm. how did it compare I mean you you, you know you'd been to cup semi-finals you'd been yeah. to playoff finals yeah. how did it compare well it's a, I mean I've been used to the championship level as a player with, with Sheffield and and then at Bristol City we got promoted I think we touched upon it there so I, I was used to that level but then we did get promoted to the Premier League but I forged a relationship with the uh, um, Paddy Kenny, who was very similar to me in his upbringing, he, he was Halifax lad. He played, he played um, local football, and then he got into the game late, like me. He'd been—I forget what job he'd done—and mm. Neil Warner could have taken him on at Bury, and then brought him to Sheffield United. So we we actually got together the last Friday before the season started in the 2000, the, se- that, the season of the you know, 2001 two, I think it was, and. We just forged a good relationship and worked together. And uh, Neil didn't really speak to me much in that first month, but a chap called Kevin Randall, who'd been a top striker at York, mm. who I'd known from Chester from my Chesterfield days, and I think he'd put me a word in, really. He said, oh, don't worry. He says, he thinks you're doing all right. He said, he will eventually speak to you. And when he does, you'll be in. So that's how it went. And uh, that first season, yeah, we did, we got to the... Uh, we, well, we played every game. We, well, apart from two, we got to the playoff final and the FA Cup semi-final against Arsenal in the League Cup semi-final against Liverpool of all teams again and uh, we just ran out of steam on that last game at Wolves in the in the playoff final we were 3-0 down after 15-20 minutes but it just been one game too far the lads were absolutely on the knees we missed a penalty and then somebody got it was, it was one of those days where a catalogue of things happened and, was but, the Arsenal semi-final was that the one where David Seaman pulled yeah, that, that one he put, same, yeah he? he did yeah and their goal somebody got flattened on halfway line one of our players I think it was Michael Tong or Michael Brown the ref never give it and uh, Neil was going you know what he's like on the line. He went absolutely ballistic going down that tunnel, um, trying to get a decision in his favour, but it didn't happen. And of course, he made that save. That did, I think Paul Pescasolido right, yeah, was the header. Know. It would have been one-one. Now again, who knows what to come next? But yeah. it was—I mean—that was a great season to be involved as a, as a coach, personally. But I was at that time I was freelancing really. I wasn't full time. 
at Shef- there was no real full-time goalkeeper coach. I was working at um, a bit of Scarborough, a little bit of Chesterfield, a couple of days at, at Sheffield. But obviously, when these games came, I was I was getting more and more involved, and I got a full co- full-time contract the following season. And I was working a bit at York College as well with Gordon Staniforth, who was uh, running a, a, a you know a place for kids to. You know, going to college and, and learn football as well. You must have had about five different kits in your car. I didn't know which, which one to put on some days, you know. <laughs> and then, of course, on a Wednesday, on the day off, I'd be travelling on this coach and taking Gordon's kids up to North Tyneside and all these places. And then the worst part about it was trying to get paid at the end of the end of the month. You had to put invoices on it. Oh, can you come back next week? Can you come back this week? There was never any money about, you know, you're always chasing it. Mm. And... Uh, I just remember that when I was doing a bit of Scarborough in that time, the youth coach said, get yourself up to ground, there's some money at the first game of the season, so you can get paid today. And uh, they paid what what you know what they owed me, in, it went straight out of the, the ground receipts, if you know what I mean. So I walked out with this bag of 10p's, 5p's, 2p's, you know, I remember tipping it out on the map. You've got the Scarborough amusements there. And... I was, yeah, well, yeah, they want a lot in there, I'll, I'll be honest with you. But um, yeah, that was how it went. It was a good grounding, really. When Neil Warnock did finally speak to you, what, what was it like working with him? He's, again, massive character, Good. isn't he? Absolutely. I've, you know, you, you, you see a different character on a Saturday. He's passionate. He's, he's, he's exactly what you see. He wants to win a game of football. But the big thing with uh, with Neil, he let, he let me get on with it. And uh, I remember he said, to, I said once, do you, want, do you want Paddy and the keepers in this afternoon, Gafford? He was just on his way out somewhere. And he said, he said Andy, I don't care if you take him down pub as long as they play well on weekend. And that was a way of him telling me, that's what I've employed you to do. You know, I'm not going to interfere, and that was that was that was a nice way of, of sort of putting it, a funny way of putting it. So um, it gave me a free rein to to work like that. But yeah, he's he's passionate. He's he'd be different to other managers I've worked for. But he was another one, a bit like Dennis and Viv, has this knack of getting the best out of what he's got around him. And he'd pull in all the waves and strays from certain clubs and go, nobody will touch your son apart from me. Come on, you play on this wing or you play midfielder. You know, he was good at that. And he was his, his motivational skills were were unbelievable. And what he did off camera. You know, in the way he spoke to people. If if you got it wrong, you got it wrong. You'd know about it. But the other thing is, it would be said after the game, and on, and as soon as you walked out of that dressing, it was over and done with. And then there was no vendettas, nothing personal. It was what had to be said was said. And then you'd start again on Monday morning. And I think that's why the players respected him that that did play a lot of football for him because they knew exactly where they stood. He'd tell them when they did well. He'd tell he'd, he'd, he'd like Dennis and Viv. I think Dennis had always said, I, never, I didn't ask you to do anything I didn't think you could do. You know, so it was, as long as you did your job, it was like a centre-half. We had a lad called Chris Morgan, great centre-half, Chris, proper. But he he said to Chris, just you edit and kick it. That's what I employ you to do. <laughs> and we had another called Nick Montgomery in the middle of midfield, who was a, what we call a ratter. He could make the tackles. And Michael Brown playing alongside him. And if Monty tried to have a shot or do something, he'd just say, Monty, you can't do that. Just when you win it, give it to Brownie. But Brownie can't do what you do. And win the ball back. So he was always this way of bringing people up and and, and motivating them. So we had some good seasons under him. But you know, I, I, and he gave me a, and again another one of respect because he gave me a chance in football as a coach, really, and a license to do what what I wanted to do. I was quite happy doing what I was doing. I can imagine having Paddy Kenny as the sort of first proper keeper that you mm. you worked with as a goalkeeping coach. Must have been a, a good fit, really, because he'd come from sort of local football and, mm. and sort of had the similar sort of path to yourself. And and, yeah. and the kind of the progression that Paddy made in his career was... I mean, yeah. He was a great keeper, wasn't he? A really good goalkeeper. It and was, a fantastic career. It was 
Probably, I think he was underrated. When I say underrated, he wasn't the photo fit of what you'd expect, but he just had this knack of getting in the way of things. And when we used to go on the goalkeeping courses, the first question they used to ask you, they used to say, right, who's the best six or seven goalkeepers? Everybody would say Ray Clemens, Peter Shilton, Gordon Banks, Peter Schmeichel, Neville Southall, Bruce Grobbelaar. And then the next question would be, what have they all got in common? They all playing goal, but they all do it differently. They all had a different style. And Paddy had his own style, so he was a good fit for that club. And, and yeah, I, I think I was able to help him in that transitional period coming from a, uh, from Bury to chef a big club because I'd done it myself. And, I, I, you know, it was daunting and it wasn't easy. But uh, we forged a good relationship and we had other keepers there, like Ollie and Bennett, who had a good career, and like Paul Gerrard, who played for Everton. And we, again, we had a good mix. But I learned how to handle people and players. I'd have to draw a direct line back to... Dennis and Viv Busby and your Ricky Spragers and your that type of person who, as a young player coming into the game, basically showed you the ropes and how it should be done properly. And Sean Hazelgrave, people like that. So I understood that way of working. And, and Neil was an old-fashioned manager, so it was, it was a fit like a glove, really, you know, to be able to help guide him along a little bit. And we didn't dis- discuss mistakes too much. You know, if you make a mistake as a keeper, it's, it's, just, it's equal to making a fantastic save. Like I mentioned earlier, you don't 100% know you made that fantastic mistake or that unbelievable mistake, uh, save or mistake. It's, it's equal. It's the basics you have to do regularly on a regular basis, which probably keep you in the game. So it was about, you know, if we did make a mistake, we just, you know, draw a line under it, start again Monday morning. Now, if you're making mistakes on a regular basis, well, you're going to be out of the team. It's as simple as that. So, you know, if it's, if it's a basic type of thing, you just work a little bit on it or work around it, but it was, uh, yeah, we had a, we, you know, we, it, I think it was something for him to lean upon. It was something possibly that I never had once I'd left York because there really wasn't a goalkeeper coaches about, bearing in mind the work that Viv had done with me. And it was lacking at Sheffield because when John left, it was down to me to step up as the senior keeper and, and help out with all these bits and pieces to, to bring the younger kids on, you know, the, the, the other two mm-hmm. keepers, like old Paul Heald, who had a good career. I wasn't quite ready for that, if I was honest. You were still quite young. Because you? I was, yeah, I was quite happy with John doing these, you know, but I had to learn quickly. So, but I think what it did do, in, when, when, I, when I did get a chance to work in the game, I had a sort of an idea. And the other two people were John Duncan and, and back to Kevin Randall at Chesterfield, who gave me a free reign when I, before I went to Sheffield United. And... Uh, I went up there as a backup to Billy Mercer, and I wasn't player coach on paper, but I, but I actually that's the really the what I was doing. I was backing up Billy, and I played my fair share of games as well. But I was, and I, I got to see through John and uh, and Kevin how, how football clubs work, looking from the other side and tactics and trying to find training pitches, and and it was just a great insight into the game. So I've had some fantastic influence, people who's given freely of the time and. Uh, and knowledge, and I've always tried to do that myself as well, if I'm honest. You came back to York a couple of times, what once mm-hmm. under Martin Foyle, and then mm-hmm. 2015 under Russ Wilcox. I know they were, they were quite short spells, but what was it like going back and, and had the club change? I, I imagine that the bath at Boove and Crescent was exactly the same as <laughs> I or, think in or, my locker on the first when I walked through, I think it was a pair of boots in mine from there from 15 years ago, but you know, <laughs> it was like that. It was exactly the same dressing room, the bath was the same. The, nothing had changed really so it was a bit of um, you know one of those moments where you walk back in time you think nothing's changed and of course you'd walk out on the pitch and remember all the memories that you'd had here and all the people that you'd played with but it was nice to come back and work and it was nice to be offered work here and uh, the second spell I'd known Russ Wilcox from he was the uh, he was on Sheffield Wednesday's coaching staff 
And obviously, when I was in United's coaching staff, we, we always had a drink after the game in the big derbies, and we knew each other that way. And when he got the job, he just said, Would you come and help us out? Do you live in York? Would you mind coming and helping out? Which I was quite happy to do. We you disappointed it wasn't longer term because being in York on your doorstep and the history well, you have yeah. of it, it would have been nice to sort of it's have a bit longer at the club. Probably, yeah. But, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. And I think I'll be coming to the end, not the end of it, but I was getting to a point where I'm not, I didn't I hadn't had enough of it. But it's just the way it went. And Jackie McNamara came in and wanted his own keeper coaching, which is fair enough. And it, I'd done the same with other clubs where I'd taken somebody's place. So to be fair to the chairman, he, we, we sorted everything out and we were left on, on, on decent terms. So, you know, I can't say any, any fair than that. But, uh, you know, I was keeping an eye on the club and I go, you know, I've watched a few games at the new stadium. Good friend of Ian Dunn's and uh, we used to travel to Chesterfield together he was a Chesterfield player mm-hmm. so along with Steve Tuttle many years ago we used to, you know it was a good bit of a car school really so but it's nice to see them uh, progressing again and hopefully you know hopefully it can keep going and get back in the football league because that's it's a fantastic setup up there and the hospitality is as good as anywhere I go back to Sheffield and places like I'm going to Bristol in the new year now and uh, it's as good as anything you know and it looks like there's got a good fan base in there so fingers yeah. crossed for the new management uh, team yeah it's football mm. league all but mm. but in, in kind mm. of the, the league it's in um, and just sort of final questions to finish off Best manager that you ever played under? I, th- I think without De- without Dennis and Viv, nothing else would have happened. So D- Dennis had a lot of faith in me, as a, and and people like Tony Cannon we brought into the club, and you know Viv did su- such amount of work. But as a pair, I think it's as a pair they work so well together. So I'd have to put them two as as pivotal really, because without them two, I wouldn't have had a career. So I'd, I'd definitely put them two in there. Do you think that phone call was a sliding doors moment then in, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. life? Uh, that if Viv yeah. hadn't rang you, at, well. At the railway that day, that if I hadn't have picked that phone up, who'd have known? Really? So uh, it's yeah, it's a sliding doors moment, and I have been writing a few, a few of these back, bits and pieces down. So I've finished it. So uh, maybe uh, it'd be a nice, a nice book to read if I can get around to. If there's any publishers out there, fancy having a go. If you know any retweets, I'm sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's just a little bit about the time I spent at the club and and basically what we've talked about tonight. So. And, and the favourite game that you ever played in? It doesn't have to be York, it could be your whole career, but... Yeah, I, I think I'd go back to that when everything went right on the night would be that Liverpool game, apart from the result. You know, I had some good games at other clubs, without a doubt, but I, then I go back to what I just said about the management team. If I hadn't have had those games early in my career, you know, the Chelsea game, the, the Liverpool game and the Middlesbrough game, nothing else would have happened. And at a time that was... <laughs> Looking back, it was probably one of the most enjoyable I had in football. I had some great times at other places when we talked about promotions and, and things. But when it, when you really go back to it, if it hadn't have been for what happened at Bootham Crescent, nothing else would have happened. So it's those games and the team management team that came with it and the players and the, and the staff that were uh, real good people and real good players. Well, Andy, it's been been fascinating listening to you and, mm. and you know some great stories there and hope you've enjoyed looking back over your career. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed listening to Andy there. I thought he was a great addition to the series. Once I had Danny Smith on, it was I thought it'd be quite nice to get a player's perspective of someone who played under him. So it sort of went quite nicely sort of through the series to have him on second. Also, what a guy Andy is. Real pleasure sort of speaking to him before and after the interview as well. So from the 80s, we're going to go into the 90s with the next episode with Alan Little. Again, someone who many people have asked me to try to get on uh, before, and um, you know I'm glad to to finally be able to do that. Big thank you to my uncle Jason Tate, whose uh, company Planning Prospects are sponsoring 
a few episodes of his series and also to you guys uh, the listeners or particularly the people on on social media uh, I'm recording this sort of voiceover before we've even released the Dennis Smith episode but you know the promo that I put out for series 10 was was watched by nearly 3,000 people so thanks to everyone who, who kind of shared and, and retweeted and all that sort of uh, shebang it was much appreciated it's really good to, that people still interested in in the podcast and you know it was nice to kind of read some of the comments about people's excitement about the series coming back and also to people like Gabriel Ramsey at the Evening Press for running an article as well all this sort of thing really helps podcasts and also helps the charity York Hospital Radio who like I said what I say every week really we, we rely heavily on donations so if you're able to sponsor an episode or donate something even if it's just a few pounds it's just giving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio and finally if, you, if you're not able to do that like I said, there's plenty of other ways you can support the podcast. Leaving comments on social media is great. Spreading the word to other people. Leaving a review on iTunes. Rating us on Spotify. All those sort of things really, really do help. And uh, always appreciate people promoting the podcast and, and saying nice things about it. So our little should be out on Sunday evening. Many thanks again to everyone who, who's kind of listened to the first few episodes. Hope you're enjoying the new series. And um, yeah, until next time, thank you very much. <laughs>